Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Build Podcast. I'm your host Anna Hayes and in this episode we turn our attention to planning your building project, taking you through some tips and tricks to ensure that it will be a success. I'm joined by Dominique Grubisa, CEO and founder of the Debt and Wealth Management Advisory Service, the DG Institute. Dominique is an experienced property investor, developer and entrepreneur. I caught up with her recently. Yeah, so Dominique, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, wet and windy Melbourne day if you're here and if you're not, well, lucky you. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about planning your home renovation and how you can essentially dot the I's and cross the T's to make sure that it's a success, successful outcome on both the construction and the finance fronts. And obviously we're kind of all keenly aware there's been a big hike in the number of DIY projects this year due to the pandemic. Um, and that that has kind of translated into maybe bigger projects where people are looking at their homes and thinking, okay, well, actually it's time we do up this, it's time we change that around. Um, and obviously the government's home builder scheme uh, will play a big role in that. So just, can you tell us a little bit about how that scheme will work, Dominic? Uh, yeah, the home builder scheme, Anna, is um, what the federal government put out to try and encourage investment um, in properties and the property market. So there's um, the grant can work two ways. It can be for a house and land package. So you'd usually go to like a project home builder and um, that's um, when it's up to a $750,000 build um, and they will then um, give the grant towards that. But for for those wanting to do renovations, um, how it works is that um, it, it, it has to be a $150,000 renovation. So it has to be a pretty significant renovation for the grant to apply to it. And it can't be things like a tennis court. It has to be for, um, you know, like a, an addition to the home. So like a, a new kitchen would be okay or adding a room on the back. Um, another thing that would be okay um, would be... Um, a makeover but it can't be for an investment property it has to be for your family home that you're living in there goes my chances of uh, perfecting my tennis serve <laughs> so yeah that will as you say that will be a factor for a lot of people that will look at a renovation um i after the year we've had i'm not sure there will be too many that will be looking at the more cosmetic uh additions as you've mentioned there there will probably be more extension and renovations of kitchens and living rooms that people are fed up of because they've been stuck in them since January. Um, but of course, you've written quite extensively about this topic, uh, Dominique. Can you tell me then, or kind of talk me through, say for the average person sitting down thinking about renovating their home, whether it's a big project or small project, if you've, as you've mentioned there, what, are, what would you consider to be the main do's and don'ts of planning that project? Yeah, Anna, well, I started out personally flipping houses. So all I was doing was purely a commercial project. I'd look for some disparity in the market. So where people would pay more for a renovated finished product than they would for, you know, a 1970s home and what it would cost me to get it to a finished state. And if the market would pay more than what it cost me, then that would be my profit. So it was purely a business. Um, and it's a little different if you're doing it as a property 
community to live in. Um, so I, I think the first thing is determine what your end game is. Is it to have something that you can sell in the shorter term, um, in which case you should be renovating to what the market wants? Um, so if, for example, it's an area that has big homes where people would expect four to five bedrooms, um, don't you know renovate for something that's going to have three bedrooms. And I've seen people do that. Like they'll do something stupid that says, oh, I'd like to have a really big bedroom for myself. So I'll just join two bedrooms together and sacrifice a room. That may be good for you now, but for the end market, they're not going to pay more for it. If you're just wanting your dream home to live in and it's totally purpose-built and the value add of a renovation doesn't matter to you, then that's a whole different story. I think a, a balancing act would be to go middle ground, build something for yourself and add value for yourself, but make sure that it's aligned with the other homes in the area and what other people are looking to buy so that you then have options and you don't build a white elephant. And the best way to do that is to know you area to go for open for inspections to see what people are looking at what's selling and um, to build for that so if it's a beachy suburb maybe putting a deck out the back um, and having that outdoor living area for entertaining is what works in that suburb um, so really align yourself with the market and the area um, the other thing that's important is to know your budget, so to know what you can spend, um, and that may be what you can borrow, um, and whether that be from a lender or whether, it, um, and, and often if you're going to add value to a property and you've got equity in it, you can get a line of credit and pull out some money to actually do the renovation with. But it's important not to overcapitalize, so not to spend too much for the sub or the area. Um, an example of that is we once um, had a property that was sort of a, a few streets back from a beach. It didn't have point blank beach views. And to add an extra story to that house for sort of filtered views of the ocean would cost more than um, just renovating it as an existing product of what was there. Because three bedroom homes were selling in the area, adding a second story and adding two more bedrooms would cost us more than what we could fetch in the end. Um, so uh, really understanding what you can afford and what will work in the area and what will sell in the area because if you're wanting to stay a bit nimble and maybe upgrade in a couple of years time if you've spent too much on a renovation you may have to wait especially in an uncertain market like this you know five years or so ten years before you can get your money back and move on Another thing um, to really be aware of is to understand the scope of work that you're doing. Um, so we've had people, and, and it was me in the early days, a bit different now with YouTube and things, but um, I said, well, I can do parts of this myself and I can do tile cutting myself. And, um, but, and, and we've had students and members of our community who have tried to do a lot of it themselves. They've ended up Googling how do I cut tiles and hiring things from Bunnings and trying to do it all. Um, often it can be better for certain things like waterproofing a, bath, a bathroom to have an expert um, and it's, it's worth the investment in getting the right trades in. Um, so understanding what 
what you're doing and what it's going to cost. And in this market, um, tradies are really competitive. So um, it's, a, it's an uncertain time. Um, people are losing their jobs. Um, people are saving as opposed to spending. Um, so in down markets like this and uncertain property markets, one good thing is that tradespeople are hungrier um, and they'll compete for your work. So shop around um, and, and hire the right trades for the job and you may even find that it's quicker and easier than doing it yourself and you can get it at a really affordable price. Um, another thing is when you're talking to tradespeople, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, so um, we don't know everything and you can't be jack of all trades and master of none. Maybe it's easier for me um, as a woman, but I would often just keep asking questions even if I felt or looked stupid because they assume that you know things. So they may, for example, an electrician once gave us a price and it was so much cheaper than all the other electricians and we thought, oh, okay, we'll go with that. And what we learned the hard way was that he hadn't included any of the wiring in it. So I don't know why he'd separated and I, I didn't think to ask um, that I just wanted what is it going to be to deliver this end product, but he just broke it down into different components and I agreed to to part of it not understanding what what I'd agreed to. And then that leads you into another problem. Once you've accepted a quote for the job and they're on the tools doing it, it's really hard. You've lost leverage then um, because it's really hard to undo the quote. So make sure that you understand everything and you strike your best price because usually you've, the, the amount you've negotiated, they've quoted low to win the business and any changes you may later make will cost you dearly. So one example I learned the hard way was we were doing a bathroom and the plumber quoted a price and it was all done and dusted and he was there and during the process of him doing the works I said oh what do you think if we move the shower here I think that would look actually look a bit nicer and he said yeah sure and I said um will that cost more and he said yeah I'll do you a quote and it was um so say that he'd quoted 4,000, um, he then quoted 4,400. So I thought, okay, $400 to move the shower, that's fine. Yep, go ahead. It was actually 4,400 for the changes. So the whole job cost 8,400. And once he was there, it was like having like the patient on the operating table. I couldn't really call it off. I just had to pay through the nose to get the job finished. Um, so hopefully my learnings can help other people. Um, sorry, Dominic, sorry. I was just going to say there's, go. probably, there's probably a little bit of a lesson there as well in if you are kind of talking to tradies and one is coming in so much lower than the others, I suppose there's that little element of if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And probably extra little checks and kind of balances and stuff, then that, that should be, I suppose, a warning sign really for anyone who's looking for a tradie in any of these, uh, any of these respective areas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And they will be, um, uh, the other thing to be aware of is allow more time than you think. Um, and that it's a whole full time job in itself, often organising trades, because they're going to be taking other jobs and other work and fitting you in between things. So you're not going to get them for 
two or three weeks solid just working on your job. They'll turn up one day and then they won't come back the next day. Um, so if you find good trades, hang on to them um, because they'll always prioritise your work um, over and above the other jobs they're doing. And just so important to choose the right team. So take your time. I think Abraham Lincoln once said, if um, if you gave me four hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the three first three hours sharpening my axe. And I think over overarchingly when you're doing a renovation high level view spend you know those three hours sharpening your axe spend a lot of time in the pre-planning so making sure what you're doing is a fit for the suburb is a fit for the area is not over capitalizing refining your numbers um, refining your budget and always realize that it will probably cost more than you think it will there'll be unexpected things it's rare that people say oh that was so much cheaper than what I planned and I've saved money on this renovation <laughs> allow a buffer um, Murphy's law things are going to go wrong and things are going to take longer than you think um, and it's worth a bit of due diligence and planning at the start getting the right team and um, and organizing that team and if you're going to project manage it yourself just make sure that you really think it through and do the planning for example um don't you've got to order the trade so you can't call the electrician until you know for example the the walls have been set and ready um so you've got to make sure that you think it through and you call them in the right order otherwise they'll just hate you if you call the wrong guy on the wrong day and the painter comes before you know the tilers come and then the tiler comes in and wrecks the paint job and that sort of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely a balancing act <laughs> um, yeah yeah and in, in, I suppose then, uh, Dominique, what in your experience are, are the biggest mistakes that people make when they are kind of looking at this? I know you've mentioned obviously the points there that, that people should look at before they even kind of get down to it. What of those or even of something outside of those, what are the biggest mistakes that people make? I imagine probably a kind of an overzealousness to jump straight into it and get it done and that excitement that maybe clouds judgment a little bit might be part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, if it's a new, like if you're buying a property to renovate, the first mistake people make is they get excited and they overpay for the property. So they get emotional um, and they, they just want to get a deal under their belt. If it's your family home and you already own the property, they get emotional about the finishes and the fittings. And when you're talking about a square meter in tiling, it may sound quite cheap, but then when you multiply that out, um, yeah, they just don't spend the time doing the numbers and refining their budget and they end up paying a lot more for the renovation than they thought and then they've overcapitalized um, for the suburb. Another big mistake is just doing the wrong thing in the wrong area. So, um, for example, um, paving a backyard in areas where you get a premium and people, what the buyers want is some grass for the kids to play on. Um, so that sort of thing, really not being what I call an area expert. Um, so renovating to what the end market would want. And that, that does mean a bit of work, sharpening your axe and pounding the pavement, walking the streets, going to open for inspections. Um, I always say renovate to the middle of the market. So if it's a market where the median price where most people looking for properties to buy have 
half a million dollars burning a hole in their product pocket you want to deliver a product where they can buy for half a million dollars you don't want to be the cheapest house in the street where you can buy something for three hundred thousand dollars but it's got two bedrooms instead of five and you definitely don't want to be the million dollar house in a five hundred thousand dollar suburb you want to be the place where most people are going to the open for inspections and you're selling to a market of potentially 10 people who have finance and are ready to go than looking for that one outlier who wants to buy something at the top or the bottom end of the market. It's like a bell curve, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And the thing I suppose about it is as well, while we, while a lot of our readers would be say you're kind of your, your homeowners and that's their home for life. As you've said earlier on, and as we've seen from this year, you never know what's coming down the tracks. So it's, uh, it's all, it's all well and good. I suppose maybe to plan that you buy your house and you're never going to leave it until you're leaving it in the box, but it doesn't necessarily work out that way, unfortunately. So, so there probably is that little bit of, um, and I would say maybe between everything that's happened over say the last, the last obvious few months and even beyond that, people are being that little bit more discerning about these things as well. And maybe they are moving into houses and they have that kind of, that notion that this might perhaps not be for life. It's, it's one of the things, and I mean, obviously from my accent, you can tell that I, I, I'm not local to uh, Melbourne. Um, I'm Irish. Uh, and I, it's one of the things I've seen since moving over here with friends of mine that have houses and things like that. And a friend of mine bought not that terrible long ago and pretty much said yeah look, we'll be in it for a couple of years and then we'll probably sell it and move on whereas in Ireland it's very much a thing of you buy a house or you build a house and you're not going to you know unless unless something drastic happens you are not going to move out of it so it, it, it is more of a it seems to be more of a kind of a um uh, more of a a, a, a lifestyle kind of here that people buy and they're someplace for a little while and then they move elsewhere uh, as opposed to staying put in the one place uh, that's that's just my kind of uh, view on it from my um, couple of years that I've been here yeah, absolutely. And I think Australians have a bit of a love affair with property. And then there's shows like The Block where everybody's adding value to mm -hmm. property. So people tend to want to trade the property market, a bit like share trading. Like a lot of us will buy a property and, yeah, then upgrade or live in it while they renovate. So they, it's almost like a side hustle where your house can um, bring you in some income. And, um, yeah, a lot of people live through a renovation, have a beautiful house. That's what I used to do. I only ever got to live in crappy houses. And then once I made them beautiful, um, there was too much value sitting in them and we'd sell it and move on to the next crappy one and start all over again. So yeah, that it's a common theme. And um, they look at demographics. So there are some suburbs where people will only live in the suburb for three years. Uh, there are other suburbs, the average time is seven years. So they'll kind of live there, um, get married, have young children, and then they'll move to the next level and then there are the other sort of more blue ribbon suburbs where people will tend to stay for 20 years or whatever so they all of that data is available um, and um, you can you can see the average lifespan in any given suburb yeah it's like it's a, a nomadic trend here whereas in Ireland once you get the house you stick the roots in and that's it you don't go you don't move out of it unless <laughs> unless you're forced to um, yeah, it's just just interesting the different the, the different way, ways um, from country to country. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just I suppose coming back, kind of uh, 
linking the discussion back around to where we started, I suppose, uh, in terms of the home builder uh, scheme, Dominique, do you think, what do you think the uptake on that will be? How, how uh, I, I suppose, look, it's probably how long is a piece of string in, in many respects, but um, do you think that that will have a good uptake? Do you think that people will kind of jump on it and say, yeah, this is a great opportunity? Or do you think maybe the, the uh, people will be a little bit cautious and kind of go, oh, you know, will, will the, the, their own capital investments say the, the, the amount of that maybe kind of deter them a little bit? How, how do you see it? How, how do you see it um, playing out? Yeah, it's interesting, Anna, because when it first came out, there were critics of the scheme saying it's not going to add any momentum to the economy. It's not going to force people to invest in property or do more in their home or stimulate the building and construction industry. All it's going to do is um, attract people who were already going to do that anyway. So people who were going, I think I'll buy a house and land package or I think we'll do a major renovation, they're going to go, oh, okay, great, um, now's the time to do it. But it, it's, um, they said it was a waste of taxpayer money. But interestingly enough, now that it's been around a few months and, and coming to an end at the end of the year, we've noticed um, without, because at the DG Institute, we've got thousands of students and, and people doing property, property entrepreneurs, I call them, Australia-wide. Um, and what we're finding and what we're seeing, and the word is that people are just snapping up properties um, and people can't get their hands on enough land um, to the point where it's become almost a business opportunity for our students to provide land to home builders. So um, we've got people who've been going around buying blocks of land, subdividing it into two and then selling that land or offering it, partnering with a project home builder who has people just saying quick, 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 we've got to because you've got to actually have signed a contract before the 31st of December to get the grant and you have to start work within three months of signing the contract so people can go out to home world and look at display villages and love the home but then the home builder says okay great you can have the Manhattan or the Sorrento or whatever they call the model now have you got a block of land to put it on and people just can't find the land soon enough um, to take advantage of the grant so yeah there's a lot of pent-up demand we're seeing and same with um, renovated properties like there statistically there is far less stock on the market right now than similar periods and they like last year for example they say the spring market is where there's a big uptake in property and and buyers um, have been waiting and sellers have been waiting for spring to release their property onto the market and it hasn't happened this year and they I think it's because of um, the loan deferrals and government stimulus and people are just, sellers are holding on. So there's more buyers than sellers in the market right now. Um, and it means that um, people just can't find enough. We, we put all this stimulus um, and said to people, go out and buy property and the government will, will help you. Um, and there's just not enough properties um, for all the demand. Interesting times ahead then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it'll be very interesting um, going into next year when the stimulus and the government support starts to taper off. I think we, we may see some changes then. Yeah. My thanks again to Dominique for taking the time to chat with me. Hopefully her tips will help you as you go about your own projects. 
You can find out more information or reach out to Dominique at dginstitute.com.au or through their Facebook page. Remember to subscribe to the Build podcast to be notified of future episodes. Follow us on your preferred social media or log on to build.com.au for all of our news and features. Until the next time, sláinte All the best.